The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hey everybody, good to see you too, y'all doing good? There we go, there we go. Hey, so go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and so we're going to look at a really familiar story, if, if you've grown up in the church you probably heard this taught on before, it's, it's the conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. Right? And, and it's actually, in Scripture, it's the longest recorded conversation we have between Jesus and someone else. And I think that it's so, that's so right because, in my opinion, I don't think anybody else in the Bible represents the church as well as the woman at the well. As clearly as the woman at the well. And so what I want to do is, even though this is maybe a familiar story... As we work through it, I think we're going to pick up on some things that maybe we haven't seen before. And because I want to point out some things that the folks that first heard this conversation, that first read this story, that if they grew up reading their Old Testament, if they grew up as, as a Jewish person learning the Old Testament, they would have picked up on some clues that really would have brought in this whole story. And I guess we kind of know how that is with our stories, right? Whether... The movies we watch or the books we read, I mean, there's certain clues that we get that we kind of know what's going to come, right? We kind of know what's going to happen depending on some clues given throughout the story. Like, you know, you're watching a suspenseful movie and a certain type of music starts to play and you know, you know, right, in this scene, something's about to jump out, somebody's about to die, right? Like, my favorite suspenseful movie of all time is a movie called Jaws. That's right. I love it, man. Well, I saw that movie when I was way too young, and I, I, like, I was afraid of all water. It wasn't even that I didn't want to go in the ocean. Like, I remember being, like, staring down the toilet and being like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about this. Scary shark. But so we know like stuff like that, or maybe, maybe it's a Disney movie and you know, like if a, if a girl, a princess can't wake up, you know, what's going to happen. Some creepy guy is going to come kiss her, right? (laughs) And they'll get married and live happily ever after. And we pick up on these things in our movies and our stories. And I think when we read this story, there's things that if we knew them from the old Testament, we would pick up on and it would really change the way we see it. So that's what I want to have happen tonight as we read through this conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. All right, so let's jump in. John chapter 4, start in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right, pause. There's so much happening here, and we're going to walk through this conversation, but there are, there are already clues being given to how this story is supposed to end, and I, but I'm afraid we'll miss them because I mean, we, we haven't, most of us, I don't think, have been raised a good Jew. We don't know the Old Testament and the Jewish culture like the original audience to this gospel would have known it. And so we've already missed some things. Because here it is. For a good Jew growing up in that culture, what they would already think the first time that they're reading this or hearing this taught, they would have thought, oh, somebody's about to get married. Somebody's about to fall in love and get married. That's how this story ends. And they would have thought that because of the well. Does that seem weird to you? It should. Because here's the deal. In the Old Testament, every time, and it happens a bunch, every time you see this pattern, a man travels into a foreign land, goes to a well, meets a woman, draws water, then that woman runs home and tells her family, and then they come back out, get the man, bring him home. There's a celebration and a feast, and they get married and live happily ever after. It happens a bunch. The first time we see it is in Genesis 24 between Isaac and Rebekah. So this is Abraham's son. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, these are like, God's chosen people where he's going to start this whole nation. Where his promises are going to come through this family. And so Abraham and his wife Sarah dies. And so he wants to take a wife for his son. And so he actually sends a servant back to the land that Abraham had originally come out of. He says, man, go there and find a wife for my son. And so this servant goes and he takes all these camels and all this stuff, all these gifts, and he goes to this foreign land. And when he gets there, he goes right to a well. And when he gets to the well, he says this prayer. He, he prays the Lord and he says, when, when the women come out to draw water, because it was the custom and still to this day in places in the Middle East where they depend on the well for their water, they, the women would come out early in the morning and late at night to draw the water for the day. And so he gets there and he prays, when the women come out to draw, please make it clear to me the woman that you want for my, my master. And so he prays this really specific prayer that when he asked for water, that not only would the woman give him water, but would also go ahead and water his camels without being asked. And this happens. It happens exactly how, how he prays it. Rebecca comes out 
draws water for him for the camels and then he tells her who he is and why he's there she runs back to her family tells them they send her back out bring him in they have a celebration and then he takes her to meet her husband cool super romantic right especially the part about the servant getting his wife well fast forward genesis 29 isaac and rebecca they have a kid named jacob And Jacob is now ready to take a wife. So he goes back to that same land, goes back to that same well. He goes himself this time. And when he gets there, he sees this shepherdess coming out to water her sheep. And it says, as soon as he saw her, as soon as he saw her, and her name was Rachel, as soon as he saw Rachel, he loved her. And he gets up and he moves a stone. And he gives her water and he waters her sheep. And she goes back and tells her family what's been done for him. They're like, man, go get him, bring him in. And they have this celebration, they have this feast, and they get married and live happily ever after. Sort of. It's kind of like a two-for-one special with a layaway plan. A little different. You ask your youth pastor about that later. Still very romantic. I mean, love at first sight. 14 years later. But then again, fast forward to Exodus and you have Moses and Moses is in Egypt, right? He's been raised as an Egyptian, as an Egyptian prince. But he realizes, man, that's not who he really is. And he'd rather suffer for the name of Christ with his people than live the good life in Egypt. And he sees his brothers and sisters suffering in slavery and he stands up. And he actually strikes down an Egyptian and kills him. And then he freaks out and he goes on the run and he runs to this land called Midian. He goes into a foreign land and you guessed it. He goes to a well and he sees these shepherds roughhousing this group of women who just are there trying to get water. And so he stands up for him, drives off those shepherds and he gets water, gives it to the women, gives it to their sheep. That's right. The girls go back, tell their family. Do you see the pattern? They come back out, get Moses, bring him in. He then, they they have this celebration, this feast, and he marries this woman called Zipporah. Why do I tell you all that? Because I don't want to miss it. Because we're supposed to pick up on those clues. That if you were reading John chapter 4 for the first time, And in John chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's already hinted at it. He's referred to Jesus twice in those two chapters as the bridegroom. So when you get to chapter 4, you should be thinking, okay, who who is Jesus going to marry? Who is the bride for Jesus? And then you see Jesus travel into a foreign land and sit down at a well. And all of a sudden, he starts speaking to a woman. And our minds should be blown. Is Jesus come to take a bride? Has Jesus come to find a wife? This blows the minds of the disciples. Look at verse 27. We'll skip ahead and we'll come back. Verse 27. His disciples had gone into town to buy sandwiches. And now they've come back. Verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he, Jesus, was talking with a woman. Look what, they, look what they're thinking. But no one said, what do you seek? 
Why are you talking with her? Why would they think that? They get it. We've gone into a foreign land and Jesus is talking to a woman at a well. Is he looking for a wife? Is he going to take a wife? And they're standing there, right? Grocery bags in hands, looking like morons with their jaws on the ground because not only is Jesus talking to a woman at a well, but he's talking to this woman. And they've got a big problem with that. That's kind of crazy, right? The whole meeting a woman at a well, like, that's not how we do it. That's not how I did it. But, you know, this, this kind of sent me down a little rabbit trail in my study. Because I thought, how do most people find a spouse in, like, in our culture? And so it kind of blew my mind. Um, 20% of marriages now, people getting together and getting married, start through a dating app. Online dating. And so now hear me, I'm not making fun of that at all. I'm not going to throw off on that. I'm not making fun of it. I mean, I know a lot of awesome couples that that's how they started out was through a dating site, through online dating. I'm not throwing off on it. However, however, I would submit to you that not all dating sites are created equal. Fair enough? Because here's where my little rabbit trail went. I found dating sites that, I mean, if you gave me a thousand years, I would not come up with on my own. Would you like me to tell you about some? Oh, yeah. All right, well, then you're welcome to go to the restroom for a couple of minutes. I'll be covering some dating sites that you're not interested in. This one's crazy. Listen to this. This one's, this one's crazy. This is real. These are all real. I'm not suggesting you look them up, but this is real. <laughs> Meetaninmate.com. Meet an inmate. Do people still say, just say no? Is that still a thing? This one, this next one's my favorite. <laughs> this one's my favorite. Nothing again. Hey, I'm not judging. I'm just pointing out. This is funny. This one, okay. I always have a hard time saying this one without laughing. <laughs> I can do it. All right. <laughs> this is real. This is legit. You can look this up. Don't do it. <laughs> Here we go. Personals.com. That's right. Meet other cat lovers who really match your personality. <laughs> That one is scarier to me than the first one. It doesn't stop there. Listen to this. And let, you have to let this one sit on you for a second. Amishdating.com. This is not against the Amish. I just didn't think that was possible. Like how? They don't have a like. Okay. This one's real, StarTrekDating.com. May the force be with you. Nerds. All right. <laughs> Farmers only. That one's not funny. That's just good. That's just good. Find somebody that works hard, likes the dirt. Gluten-free singles. Misery loves company. 
Those are real. So I think all of a sudden, sitting by a well, don't look so bad. Apparently, the other 80% is made up of, you know, meeting somebody at work, church, through a mutual friend, working at the Institute in Snowbird. That's right. Family reunions, just the more normal, traditional... Just, just seeing if you're paying attention. Just seeing if you're paying attention. It's not a good. <laughs> so, so bring it back. When these guys are reading this story, when the disciples are standing there, they, they're legit. They're saying, okay, what is Jesus about to take a bride? And they have a big problem with that because of where they are, where they're standing at the moment, and who this woman is. They have one problem with it because she's Samaritan. They have a racial issue with this. They have an ethnic issue with her. Because it says it in the story, right? She says it to Jesus, like, or she says, are you talking to me? You're Jewish, I'm Samaritan, you're talking to me? And John says, okay, listen, time out. At that time, Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus is crossing a racial barrier. Jesus has, he's not not stopping there. He's not going to respect that. But more than that, it says that it was the middle of the day. It says it was the middle of the day. We we said earlier, remember, when when did the women come to draw the water? Early in the morning, late at night, in the evening, when it's cool. Why would you go at the hottest part of the day? So no one, no one is there. It's just the two of them. Why would this woman go at the middle of the day? To avoid other people. Listen to what we're about to find out about her. But do you remember? It said this. It said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Do you remember that? Right there at the beginning of chapter 4, you can see it. First couple of verses. It said that he had to go through Samaria. Well, geographically, that, that's not the case. It was a shortcut, but actually most people traveled around Samaria. Most Jews traveled around Samaria. They wouldn't go through. He didn't physically have to go through. But Jesus has come there for a purpose. He's come there because for him, he's on a mission. And it has everything to do with this woman. But remember what I said about this woman. It's not just about her. She's representing all of us. So look at what happens in this conversation. I'm going to back up. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him 
will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. All right, so pause. Are they, is Jesus talking about physical water that you drink? Like, is, is this the, the fountain of youth, right? Is that what he's talking about? No. He's saying, the water that I'm offering you, spiritual. It wells up to everlasting life, which isn't just like you live forever and you endure forever and you never physically die. He's talking about satisfying the deepest desire of her soul, her purpose for existing. Not just now, but yeah, for all of eternity. She doesn't quite get it, right? How are you going to draw that? You don't even have, you don't, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a jar. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, man, if you knew, you'd accept this water and you would live forever. You would never be thirsty again. Never again would you look for temporary ways to satisfy your soul if you would receive what I'm offering you. She doesn't, she still doesn't get it. She says, oh, give me, give me this living water. And Jesus is going to, but not before he deals with something yet. Not before he deals with something deep inside of her. Look what he says next. Man, he turns this conversation, he, he twists this conversation in a way that we never would have saw coming. She says, yeah, give me this living water. Like in the way that we talk, we'd say, man, I want you to get saved. If you're talking to somebody, you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they say, yeah, I want to get saved. I want the living water. We'd probably say, okay, repeat this prayer after me. Walk this aisle, like sign this card. What a, let's go into the river and get baptized. And Jesus doesn't do that. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus said to her, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. I'm not married. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Youch! Are you trying? Did you read that? You heard it, right? In English. That's intense. That is incredibly intense and personal. He's talking about living water one minute, and all of a sudden, he just touched on the deepest possible wound in her soul. He just got incredibly personal. And she recoils. Look at what she says. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She doesn't deny it, right? But okay. I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that it is in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. What does she just do? What she do? She changed the subject. That's pretty slick, wasn't it? It's an important skill in life. But what's she doing? 
they're having this deep spiritual conversation. Jesus is sitting down at this well talking to this woman. Her mind's blown because he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about other people's racist issues. He's there to share the gospel. Her mind's already blown. They're having this conversation. It goes below the surface. And he starts talking about satisfying her soul. And she's starting to get it. And she's opening up to it. But it before, before she can understand that, before she can really appreciate her need for salvation, she first has to see her sin problem. She has to deal with this wound in her soul. And Jesus, listen to me, Jesus in His kindness, Jesus in His grace, in His mercy, in His love for this woman is bold enough and kind enough and gracious enough to talk about sin. But she, man, she, she recoils. She, put, she goes behind her wall. Do you see it? It's pretty slick. I perceive you're a prophet. So let's talk about something theological. Let's not talk about something personal, right? Well, what, what, what about all the contradictions in the Bible? Well, what, about, what about evolution? What about, what about, what about the, in whatever? She puts up this wall and she starts to hide behind it because she doesn't want to deal with that. Pause. Remember what I said about the disciples? They get back. Remember, we left them kind of standing there looking stupid with groceries in their hands. Part of why they're so shocked isn't just that they think, is Jesus looking for a wife? Part of why they're so shocked is, is he going to marry her? Is he going to marry her, a Samaritan? In the middle of the day, Samaritan, like that type of woman? Because when they see her, all they see is sin. And that's why she's there at the middle of the day. It's because she's tired of people looking at her like that. She feels her guilt. She feels her shame. That's why she goes at the middle of the day. So she doesn't have to deal with the looks and the snickering and the comments and people looking down on her. Listen, we, we don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know why she's had five husbands. Maybe, maybe they all died. Maybe she's been widowed five times. Maybe that's why the new dude's like, uh-uh, Jack. <laughs> Seeing this play out. We don't know. Maybe they were somebody else's husbands. We don't, we don't know. But our, let's be honest. In this conversation between Jesus and the woman, who do you and I relate best to? The woman. She's a sinner? Absolutely. Just like all of us. But yeah, but it's sexual sin. Yeah, just like all of us. Another place Jesus would say, would say, man, if you've ever looked at somebody with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. What's he saying? He's saying, if you've ever had sexual thoughts about somebody you're not married to, that's adultery. Which one of us could pick up the stone to throw first? We've all fallen. 
We're all sinful, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here is the beauty of the gospel. Let me read it to you (laughs) the way John says it. Verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Physically, geographically, no. Why? To save this woman. Because it is for sinners that Jesus came. It is for people like you and me that Jesus came. It's for people who see and feel the weight of their guilt and their shame. And we don't have anything to do with it. We can't do anything with it. We keep trying to satisfy our souls with temporary things that just won't work. Do you see the picture? You come here every day, every day, every day, day after day. You carry your jar, you fill it up with this water and you drink it. And the next day you got to come back. And the next day you got to come back and you're never satisfied. It's a picture of how she's trying to satisfy her soul through these empty, meaningless, sinful relationships. But it's all she knows. It's all she knows. And she's living off the temporary pleasure that comes from from it. And Jesus is saying, man, I can give you living water to satisfy you, to cleanse you, to remove your guilt, to remove your shame. You'll never be thirsty again. One of my favorite stories out of World War II, and I don't mean favorite like by being entertained, but just deep, meaningful stories that came out of that incredible period of our history. It was about a guy named Louis Zemperini. And I, I don't have the time to tell you this whole story. It's, it's fantastic. They made a movie out of it called Unbroken. It's fantastic. The part of his story is that his plane goes down in the ocean And he spends almost 50 days in a raft floating adrift. Barely surviving. Like catching birds to eat. Catching a fish every once in a while. And when he would talk about that, man, what was so horrible was that he was dying of thirst, surrounded by water. So, I mean, I I was picturing that scene in my mind, that floating in the middle of the ocean, thinking about this woman, thinking about us. What's tragic in that picture, right? Like, think about it. I mean, sun beaten down, middle of the ocean, you are dehydrated and dying, and you are surrounded by glistening, cool water. But people have died doing that. People have died buying into that lie. It looks good to my eye. It tastes good. It feels good in my mouth. It is cool going down. And it temporarily satisfies my deep longing to drink. What's tragic about it is, yeah, you drink salt water, and it'll feel good going down. It'll make you think that your thirst is being satisfied. The problem is it's so saturated with salt that your kidneys can't process it. So you end up expelling more water than you possibly could take in just to try to flush your kidneys of that salt. So while you're drinking, you're becoming more and more dehydrated. And you're left thirstier than ever. And eventually, it kills you. I think, man, is there a more clear picture 
of when we try to find purpose and joy, satisfaction, and the things that Jesus has said, and that brings death. When we try to satisfy ourselves sexually in ways that Jesus says, that only leads to destruction. But in that moment, it feels right, and it seems to satisfy, while all along leaving you more empty, more dry, closer to death. That's how this woman has lived her life up to this conversation. And Jesus loves her enough to show her her sin. And this weekend, listen to me, look at me. This weekend, Jesus loves you enough to reveal to you your sin. Why? To heap guilt and shame on you? No, 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 no. The opposite. To remove your guilt and shame. Because that is only possible through Jesus. So he, he plays her game for a second. He answers her theological question. Then look what happens. Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming. Here it is. He turns the conversation back to himself. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, do you picture her? Right? Man, she was riding high on some hope for a while. He points out her sin. Man, she crashes. She starts to hide. Jesus doesn't leave her behind that wall. Man, he breaks through that wall. And now, man, she's staring at him. I think I picture her eyes narrowing, and she says, I know that Messiah is coming, our King, our Savior, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. He reveals himself to her. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman, here it is. Here's her salvation. You ready? Here's her salvation. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see him. This woman who used to go to the well in the middle of the day to stay away from people because of her guilt, because of her shame. But now she's met Jesus. And because she's seen Jesus for who he really is, she is no longer ashamed. She's been set free. Why do I say that? She left her water jar. Remember? That's why she went. She wanted to get temporary water that could never really satisfy. But now she's met Jesus and she's seen Jesus for who he really is. She's received the living water bubbling up to eternal life. She no longer needs that. It's a picture of her repentance. It's a picture that she has received salvation from Christ. And now what does she do? The most natural thing that anyone would do who's met Jesus, who's been set free, who's had their guilt and their shame removed, no matter what you've done, what's been done to you that was outside your control, all that removed in Jesus. What's the most natural thing? She runs home and tells everybody. 
tells everybody. Man, some of you, you haven't experienced that. You haven't experienced that yet. So I would beg you, look at me, please, please look at me. I'd beg you, you're going to hear the gospel all weekend. You're going to hear hard teaching all weekend. You're going to sit in share groups and have people ask you about your relationship with Jesus. Don't, don't duck behind that wall. Don't hide behind theological questions or philosophical questions or what about this or what about that. Let the word of God reveal to you the goodness and the power of the gospel and the person and work of Jesus Christ. Receive his forgiveness. Receive his forgiveness for your sins. He can remove that guilt, remove that shame. Man, and I don't know. I don't know about this woman. And maybe most of her issues came from abusive relationships where people did things to her that she did not ask for and did not want. And that's some of your stories. And the gospel has the power, Jesus has the power to remove that shame too. And you can be made clean. She leaves that water jar. She won't need it anymore. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. All right, so remember our pattern? A man goes into a foreign land, goes to a well, water's drawn, a woman comes out, right? She runs home, tells everybody. They go get him, bring him in. They have a feast, a celebration, and then a what? That's right, a wedding. So is that what happens next? It's a huge twist in our story. Remember the disciples are standing there going, what is going on? Is Jesus looking for a bride? Is Jesus looking for a wife? What's the answer? Yes, absolutely. Jesus is there for his bride, but not just this one woman, but everyone represented by this woman. Jesus is there for the church. He is there for the bride, the bride of Christ. That is who we are. He didn't come to marry one woman and settle down in Sychar. He came to rescue the church. All those who would hear the gospel, believe in Jesus, be rescued. We are the bride of Christ. He came to make us new. He came to claim us as his own so that we would spend all of eternity with him. But here's the twist in the story is the disciples come up and they're like, uh, we got your sandwich. And Jesus says, man, <laughs> I've, got, I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. He's like, it's not, he says, it's not time for the celebration. He says, it's time for the harvest. And it would seem that he's just like totally switching the picture, switching the metaphor. He says, it's not time to celebrate. It's not, it's not time for the marriage supper of the lamb yet. It's time to work the harvest. What's he saying? It's time to tell everybody that I came to rescue them. It's this picture of all these people filing out of the town to come see Jesus. And he says, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. The picture is if you're a Christian, that's what we're to be about. 
The marriage supper of the land's coming. The celebration is coming. The wedding is coming. That's our future. Right now, it's time to work. It's time to work. It's time to make sure everybody knows of the goodness of Jesus Christ, of the gospel, of the living water that he offers, that we don't have to die trying to satisfy our thirst with the temporary pleasures of this world. We can have the living water that Jesus offers. Some of you, please, please, please receive the gospel tonight. Receive the living water. Look to Jesus and be saved. Look to Jesus and be healed. Don't reject him. Don't find reasons not to believe. Surrender to Jesus.